Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to The Front Porch. My name is Dennis Rogers. I'm joined once again by Michael Daniels, and we have a special guest with us. Uh, once again, our good buddy, Fox. Hey, Hi. Fox. What's up, man? Nice to be here. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for inviting me back. It's an honor and privilege to join the show. <laughs> also known as Geek Scholar Fox. Yep, yep. In Scholar certain Fox. circles, yes. In We're, certain circles, or or Mr. LRM, you know, in the biz, Mr. Yeah, LRM. Yeah. You're, you're, you're spoiling all the material, Mike. We gotta we gotta stuff. lead into that stuff. Well, yeah. we're here. Uh, we did not record a live show at Gen Con this year, but we're here a couple days after Gen Con to do our Gen Con after action report. Our debrief, the debrief. I didn't Everybody's really want to use that had word. A few days. But, uh, yes. What do we got? Like uh, three days? It's been three days, something like that since since the con. I'm still um, still trying to catch up on recovering, sleep. recovering. Yeah. Yes, I re- I really am. Uh, my, my day actually that Sunday, what time did you guys get in finally? I know you traveled a long time, Dennis, get like on the home? road and Fox flew. Yeah. What time did you guys finally actually get home? Uh, finally, finally home. I think it was after 12 because we had to, uh, drop off Steve and also take David's minivan back to, uh, my sister-in-law. Oh, pain in the butt. Swap what about you, Fox? You, you, took, you got an earlier flight, though, right? I did. I was I was scheduled to fly out late that evening. However, I made the very wise decision to move up my flight and get home yeah. about midday. I was, was Gen Conned out. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the Con won, uh, and I yeah. admitted defeat <laughs> and put myself uh, on an airplane and got home a little bit earlier than expected. But it still was a very full convention for me. It, it was it was the same here too. I, I I really enjoyed it's it was this year was really interesting for me because I didn't overpack myself like I usually like to do. Um, I never felt rushed. I took my time doing stuff and still had just a really great time. Um, and I feel that I saw all the things I wanted to see this year. Um, I mean, you can always do more. I can always sit in the auction hall or you know spend more time at different demo booths. But you know, I I felt good on Sunday, you know, leaving with what I've done. And then the, the, the social time, um, uh, Shelly had said, you know, I think that so, is it social part, the social component, a really big part of that thing too. And I said, yeah, you know, Gen Con is Gen Con, but a lot of it is hanging out with friends that you haven't seen very often. And Fox, you're included in that kind of thing where we don't, we don't get to see each other very much. Dennis comes up from up North and there's what, 15 of us. Is that what it was? 15 of us mm-hmm. in that thing. Um, That's correct. So Fifteen. I, I got, I got, I got a lot of that good, good stuff in too. So I, I felt good about the con. Did you guys? Uh, I guess we start r- right up into there. Did you keep try? Give me a, give me a one game. We're going to talk about a lot today, but give me one game that, like, man, this year was that that game that I played and I really liked. Hmm. That's a tough. It is, and we'll go over lots of different ones, but. So, just, okay, just I'm, the, I'm happy to give one. I mean, it, it was an older game, but it's the first time I'd played it at Gen Con. Yep. And I, it was by Inside Up Games, um, my boy, uh, boy Connor, who runs that. He gave us a game called Gorus Maximus. Oh, and, right. I saw you playing the crud out of that game. And um, it, he'd put out a premium edition. This is basically a very simple card-based trick-taking game mm-hmm. with beautifully cartoonish uh, gory art. So all the cards have like <laughs> gladiators, you know, putting swords into alligators and bears while they try to oh, eat apart. I looked at this game when I was walking the hall. It did it did look very cool, but not anything that I could, you know, bust out around my family. 
Right, oh, probably I, I, not. But it is great for pubs. I would say mm, I even call oh, it the ultimate yeah. pub game because like, the cards, this premium yeah. edition, are covered with a very special resin, which makes them waterproof. Uh, comes nice. with upgraded components, and it's very easy to learn. A round or two takes about twenty minutes to play. If you've played something like Pinochle or Hearts, it's very easy to pick up. Um, it's just a lot of fun because somebody inevitably gets screwed, which is part of the fun <laughs> of it. Like, is you're playing cards and. Whoever has the high card or the trump suit wins the trick, but there are cards that are worth negatives. You can kind of throw the negative cards out there and totally mess someone up uh, at the table. And I like the interaction and the engagement of it. So again, it's a little bit of an older game, but the premium edition was so good. Um, If you got a group of people who like card games, you absolutely have to pick this up. It's super fun to play. It's very easy to learn. Highly, highly Uh recommended. I got. I got to say, when I was watching, I watched you guys play it because it did get played several times. I watched you guys play it. It felt, by viewing it, like super simple and enough where I was like, I'm not interested in that because it, because it looks just way too simple. But every single person at every single table was like, Oh, this is a great game. This is a. I like this. I'll play this again. Well, if I may, Mike, so. I think that the the aspect of it that gets more and more strategic over time is the understanding that there is a little bit of a card counting element to it. Ah. So there's only one, um, just like a deck of cards, there's only one value per suit or per color. So okay. after a while you get used to knowing, oh, the eight of any suit is the negative you know, value. Have I seen yeah. the eight come out for this color? Oh, and more and more so you you, can, you're seeing like when someone throws yeah. it out, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. That's exactly. a little... Um, it plays into a little bit of the nature of our group and how often we are always playing new games because of our proximity to our buddy Mike Trotsky, who's a bit of a neophile and is always hunting the latest thing. There's a certain kind of, uh, I'm going to say artistry, but that's too fancy of a word, of just playing a game a lot like this for our group was Love Letter for a couple of years. And I think people have more or less gotten burned out on it. Obviously, Love Letter is a, it's like an 11 card game. It's that same concept, but with a much, much smaller deck. Um, but just that idea right. of of playing a game like, you know, I grew up playing cards with my grandparents, and we had like two or three games that we played, but that was always with a deck of cards, and you knew, okay, I want to be kind of thinking this way. And right. it, takes, it takes a lot of the, you know, the learning part of the thinking um, out of it once you know the game, which can be, you know, kind of a relief to move past that into the strategy right so what about you dennis what 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 game what what game would you put up there well look back and say so it's so it's between two for me i um in the in the list of of mistakes i made this year starting with the the very epic screw up of um leaving my badge at home which oh uh, yeah (laughs) didn't mention that one if anyone out there is listening the the uh conclusion if anyone listening to the show attends gen con uh Gen Con will not replace lost badges or event tickets. So it's your fault. That's what don't, they think. Don't do what I did. Uh, the second part of that is that uh, for a little over 50 bucks, you can get uh, UPS to bring an envelope <laughs> of stuff about a four-hour drive uh, overnight before 10.30 a.m., <laughs> which was a massive relief. Um, I did not overload my <laughs> schedule this year like I did last year. Um, I actually... Yeah thought my schedule was more full than it really ended up being there were a couple things mm-hmm. i didn't get tickets to um mm-hmm. there were several things i had tickets to that were free tickets and so we just skipped them um yep. i did play in the uh formula day tournament with 
Pete oh, yeah. and Pat. Um, yeah. I I enjoyed that more than maybe I thought I would. I had a lot of uh, dread anticipation with that um, because I've I never played with the advanced rules. For $150. Why is it $150? That copy they had at Troll and Toad is the original. So we call it Formula D, which is the reprinted yeah. English version of the game. The original is Formula Day in French, I guess. Okay. Um, and so that one you saw, I saw that one at Troll and Toad too. It's out of print. So okay. it's, okay. Uh, I was it's wondering. a collector's, collector's edition. Um, so you had, you had fun at the game... That you mo- that you thought was going to be so terrible. I remember you. Well, were it's a tournament. It. It's four hours long. It's using the advanced rules I'd never used. Um, I never really felt like I was, you know, fully comprehending all of the mechanics that I was working with with my decisions. But I started in third place, and I ended in fourth, I think, which was okay, all things considered. Um, oh. That's not bad. I went That's better than I, I did. I would fourth. Wrecked in the first turn. I was pretty much keeping up with the pack most of the most of the game, so um, I felt good about that. The new game that I played, which is not new, it's a couple years old now, uh, was Thunderstone Quest. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Which was okay. I was a little rushed toward the end of that game because we had an event immediately afterward, which was um, the animated short film viewing that. Uh, mm-hmm that Trotsky invited us all to. Um, and so I was not focused on the game for the last half hour of it. Uh, cause I ah. was, I was stressing about that getting those. Cause I picked up tickets for people. It's a long story. Um, right. but yeah, that game, that game was good. It's a little, it's a little fiddly. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of little, uh, mechanics and parts, but, um, I understand that that it's a it's a like a newer version of the Thunderstone games, and it was incredibly fiddly, and this is just less fiddly. Oh, a, a more streamlined uh, version. Yeah, I, they, I was they, yeah. I was not aware of that. It did kind of make me wish that I hadn't already invested in Eon's End, um, because mm, those yeah. both feel very, um, you know, co op deck builder yes, kind of thing. Sure. Where I'm like, I already have Eon's End, I already have Legendary. Makes um, sense. If we want competitive uh, deck builder, I've got trains and right. star realms. So I'm kind of covered on deck builders, and I'm like, yeah, if I weren't, it's not it's not very expensive. I think the big box with the whole core set is only like sixty bucks retail. Right. Uh, okay. So my my really quick frustration. I really liked that game so much so that I was like, I'm gonna go over to the floor and I'm gonna buy it. Um, I won that game, so they give you like a five dollar off yep, coupon. Yep. I said it's a good time to go over there group. and yeah, and go ahead and spend it. Um, he said it was only sixty dollars. I went over there and they were telling me it was hundred and twenty dollars. I was like, what? Hmm. And that must be like so, a deluxe box or something. Yeah, I found it's like their Kickstarter edition. They had they only had their, they didn't have this, but the lady was just being kind of mean about it the whole time. I was like, I'm not, and I was like, I'm not buying it. I'm screw you guys. <laughs> uh, so I didn't, but uh, you know, some I I see myself in the future probably purchasing that game somewhat because it, it looks really I think fun. it takes a special kind of person to volunteer at a Gen Con booth for what, even if it's just like a four hour shift, but especially if it's more than that, like toward the end of Saturday and you've been dealing with Gen Con attendees questions and, and, and issues all day to still have like a, you know, positive customer service demeanor. That's, that's a special kind of person, I think. Right. Spe- speaking of that, Fox, I, this year, 
correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first year you've done like interviews and gone around and talked to a lot of the game people or have you done this before? I've done it before, but not at Gen Con. So I was recently, yeah, it was the first big one. So I've done it at PAX Unplugged. Um, I've for many, many years now served as the lead film critic for LRM Online. We decided to get into tabletop and, and then I sort of floundered my way through PAX Unplugged. This was my first year sort of doing it a little bit more professionally and cohesively at, at Gen Con, which was really interesting. You know, basically yeah. what it what it is, is you meet with publishers and they tell you about all the stuff that's up and coming. They want to show off their most recent games and give you a little bit of insight into what they're working on for the future. Um, so it's a mix of getting able to, you know, being able to demo the new things as well as get a, a glimpse into the future, as it were. Right. And, and, and I, I know that like our listeners will want to go to LRM and read all about those details of those specific games uh, on, on your site once you get done with those. But I'm interested in like your experience with talking to these people that are, they're kind of selling a game, but they're at, (laughs) they're, they're at, they're at a convention that I know a lot of these people like to be at because they like games. And how is it that, how did it feel going up into like a, instead of a, just going in as a consumer is a fun thing. Yeah. And then talking to these people in a professional way where it's their job and they're trying to sell something. What a did great, that, was qu- that different? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. So it's evenly divided between two groups. I would say the bigger, okay. the bigger publishers have hired legitimate marketing professionals Mm. so these are individuals who are have been trained to sell the product in some capacity either to retailers or game outlets or even reviewers by trying Mm -hmm. to just get them excited about the game okay and since i'm not beholden to anybody can i say well i mean you might might. (laughs) i i cannot comment on that reaction Um, (laughs) exactly but mine is that i know i (laughs) if i can if i can interject i when i had free blocks in my schedule i i followed fox around on on a couple oh, yeah, of these you got to be there with those and too, it, yeah most of it felt to me like your standard interaction with a with a person in a booth except that it's scheduled so you have their undivided attention and yeah. instead of you know hearing the summary of a game and play testing it you're just getting all the information with a lot more maybe not a lot more but more focus on mm-hmm. the the production the 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 vision behind it just a little bit of a more uh insider perspective did you guys get to talk to the actual uh, many times the creators of the game itself and not just like the marketing people so that's that's the other side of it mike so i was saying there's sort of a split between the two the Mm -hmm. other fantastic aspect is meeting the creators these are the people who are running the smaller shops Mm -hmm. that are doing great things these are the people who are actually designing the games finding the artists working on the mechanics tweaking the rules that is an incredible experience because when you get there when you get their undivided attention that sounds fun that i would love to do that when you get their undivided attention and they are so excited about the thing they've created they are truly artists in some capacity Mm -hmm. and they can walk you through the motivation behind the game and how the rules work and why the synergy is just perfect in their minds it's hard not to get 
I don't know, infatuated with their excitement. And that makes a game more fun. It's like knowing the impetus behind the making of a movie. Why did a certain person or people decide to put this story on a screen? It's the same kind of thing about what, you know, pushed or compelled an individual or a team to make a game, when you get that level of insight, it's kind of magical. It's kind of wonderful and it makes you appreciate the game all the more because you think, wow, someone really labored over this. Someone really cared about how this is going to work and they are looking to you to give feedback. They're looking to you to say, is this good? Did I, did I do okay? You know, and you can actually (laughs) interact with the creator and and, and sort of have a conversation about it. So in those instances, Mike, I, I think that's the best part of Gen Con. And anyone can do it. I don't think you have yeah. to be pressed to be a to be one of the individuals who has this experience. You just have to be willing to go away a little bit from the renegades, the fantasy flights, the ILOs, mm-hmm. and meet yeah. with the individuals who, like who basically say, Hi, would you like to try my, my game? game? They are yeah. there at a smaller booth. And, you know, they're wishing you'd stop by and talk to them for two minutes. But those interactions are the best part of Gen Con, in my personal my personal opinion. It's the right. it's the genuine experience that those not to, you know, denigrate anyone's profession, but it's that's the genuine experience that a sales or marketing professional is trying to approximate or simulate. Right. You, you know, th- this year they had uh, Gen Con in the exhibitors hall. They had uh, um a section they called entrepreneurs row and they were hmm. talking about it in the program where they, yeah. they set, put a section is actually in the back corner of course, of course of all new game designers. And they had their, their own booths. And these were all the new people that were doing exactly what you're saying. They were just creators. Like Kickstarter prototype kind of yes. stuff. Yeah. And, and I, and I liked that area a lot. I mean, it wasn't, you didn't go back there and see IPs. You didn't see Marvel games. You didn't see stuff like that. But you saw these little games that were genuinely fun with the people that were genuinely eager to teach you and to talk to you about it. And 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 that that is something I like. I, I'll tell you, about 10 years ago, um, I remember I played a game called Killer Bunnies and the Quest for the Magic Carrot. <laughs> and, I, and I really liked it. It was kind of a fun little party game with a bunch of friends. And we bought all the expansions. And then we signed up for, for some events that they had there, some tournaments and stuff. And it was ran by Jeff Bellinger, which is the, the creator of it. Mm-hmm. And he was there teaching the rules. And I mean, Killer Bunnies is not a small game, or at least it wasn't back then. It was a pretty sure. well-known big game. And he was there with huge smiles on his face. And he would make jokes about every little card that came out. And he like genuinely found the game fun and funny. I know and, those have been like, aside from, the experience that we the experiences that we have with our friend group um over the years my brothers and i demoed uh a game called um fortune and glory and it ended up not getting a lot of playtime after we bought it just because it's a big involved game but when we sat down to demo it they their card art is is photographs of people in costume and the people okay. in those photographs were there demoing the game. It was like the guy who made it and his wife and his mom was there, like making sure everybody demoing the games had water and cough drops, whatever they need. It was just like this sweet little, you know, family business kind of setup, which was, you know, a big part of our motivation. We're like, look at these guys. They love this thing. And they did. Let's we're buying, we're buying it. Look, come on. Let's go. <laughs> just give them our money. That's, right. Yeah, I, I, I felt that. I'm I like signing. That. You're signing. We're all signing. 
Right, right. I mean, I, I did. I felt that way for several of those things. Like, I want to buy this game. I don't know how much it's going to get played, but I want to give you $20. Keep, keep doing what you're doing type thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever it might be. Uh, so on, to go back to these non, I don't say non creators is a bad thing to say, but like some of these bar, bigger things. I know you guys went to uh, uh, a company that I usually give tons of money to every year. And I did not give any <laughs> money to this year, which was upper deck. Not, yeah. And they, <laughs> those guys, I mean, they just keep taking my money is the problem. And I finally got fed up and was like, no, I will not give in. Um, upper deck makers of baseball cards and our most favoritist deck builder of all times. Ma- yes. Le- Marvel Legendary. Marvel Legendary. Spoiler so, alert, Mike. You're about to give them more money. Ah, damn it. See, <laughs> I, I, another thing, you know, every year you have things that you remember about Gen Con. There's, there, you always say like, oh, that year this happened or this year. I remember one of the years or two of the years in a row is probably what it was. Like when you, Fox had won like the Winnebox games. And mm-hmm. those are those were always, I always like to do those kind of stuff. Because you never know. There's kind of always a little story or something, and someone goes home with a box. Um, and I just didn't do any of those this year. But my, my question comes is that you got to talk to them, right? And they're not a, a studio that gets stuff that's like, um, oh, I'm, I'm I have this passion project. They're basically a studio that hires and buys games and, and developers <laughs> and stuff. And they use IPs. I'm not putting them down because, I, like I said, I give them lots of money. Um, but... I would assume they have like new things coming down the pipe and like these independent developers who just have one. I mean, well, let's start by saying that their booth had a car in it. That's true. It it did. did. It had a car in it? I did not see it. It had an Aston Martin. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, they also had the uh, semi in it a couple years for uh, Big Trouble Little China. Yeah. Well, that was for that. And so, what was the what would the Aston Martin be for, my friend? No, it's for 007. Absolutely, it is. Did any of you guys get to play that 007? We got to see. The entrance to the booth looked like uh, a a gun barrel, like the intro sequence to the classic films. Yeah, those guys don't mess. They were all wearing tuxedo T-shirts, which was kind of a. I actually thought it would, I thought it would have been better if they were all dressed up in actual tuxedos, but they were wearing tuxedo shirts. <laughs> I don't know. Tuxedos T-shirts feels on brand. For <laughs> it feels a, Gen. It feels Gen. James Bond video or James Bond card game at Gen Con. Yeah, you know that many years ago, Wizard, Wizards of the Coast pulled out of Gen Con, and they were one of the people that would always, you know, do a big thing in statues or something. And uh, they were they would they ended up leaving and complaining that they they spent all this money and did all this stuff and they were poo pooing it. It's nice to see things like Upper Deck still do that and say, yeah, we do it and it's our thing. And each year we're going to be selling this big thing and we're going to make a big stand. And yeah, I mean, it's fun. They do a great job of of enjoying the spectacle of the engagement. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that's that's something I, I give them a lot of credit for. And so Dennis and I were very lucky that we got to go behind closed doors and hear not only about what they were pushing this year, but their vision for the future. That's um, cool. That's something you don't get to do in the small little mom and pop things. Yeah. So I'm going to be really quick and I'm going to turn over to Dennis. Cause I think, I think he asked some really interesting questions of the game designers, but essentially what is, what should be known is there's going to be a new great James Bond game and it will be a deck building game okay. in the same vein as legendary, but, but not uh, legendary. You, well, no, it is. It's it's sort of a hybrid between legendary and legendary encounter. Oh, okay. It will still be a standalone game where you have the basically the ability to either buy cards or fight villains. However, it is all James Bond themed, and not only is it James Bond themed, but it is 
designed to play through each individual movie. So what I mean by that is like encounters. the base game would right it, it it retails for about fifty dollars and inside that box you get four games that are essentially four different James Bonds. So you get a Connery Bond, you get a oh, Roger Moore Bond, that's funny. you get a Pierce Brosnan Bond, and you get a Daniel Craig Bond. And that's they are funny. exactly reminiscent of one of the movies for each of them. And I may get this wrong, but I'm going to yeah, try my he best. he told us the movies. A gold, I'm going to try. It's Goldfinger, Man with the Golden Gun, Golden Eye, and Casino Royale. That's, that's what okay. I remember as well. Right. Which but I think, uh, tell, talk, talk a little bit about what their vision is for the future of this, Dennis. So this is, this is what I asked him because in, in my experience, and I didn't realize immediately that some of the non-Marvel legendary expansions are standard legendary, not legendary encounters. Um, yeah. It was probably before I really understood the differences, which are not um, – they're, they're not massive differences between um, – between the two versions of the game, essentially, as I understand it, and maybe one of you can can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, the standard legendary format is, you know, a row of villains, a row of heroes, and a mastermind with various okay. scheme twists Sorry. and things, where the encounters format has similar kind of villain and heroes, though I think they have different labels. And then instead of a mastermind, you have a story that you're going through and it's divided into acts. Uh, yeah, depending that on sounds about right. Depending on the property. I have Firefly uh, Legendary Encounters and, of course, Marvel and a couple of the Marvel expansions. So the 007, um, what do I want to call it? Franchise or, or trunk of this project, of this product, is sort of a hybrid format, as Fox said, um, where you're still doing heroes and villains, but you're going through a story that coincides with one of the films. And so they pick these four films, and then they're going to have expansions for Legendary Bond or Legendary 007 that will do more of the movies, um, which seemed right. really cool to me. It's It's really interesting. We had this conversation, I think, all of us at dinner at one point, about how how this movie crosses over to the card game it's just a, it feels weird to me at first but i think other people convince me that it's the same thing like big trouble little china aliens firefly it's just ips that pop culture likes and therefore they they're making it into this this game it's not like you're going to see you know legendary the help or you know that they actually have these very popular pop culture Top. I mean, I yeah. think as, yes. as as the years go on and what used to be niche geek hobbies and activities become more accepted into mainstream culture, um, you will get more of this, you know, crossover. I don't know that they'll ever do a legendary, you know, romantic comedy uh, trunk, but... Oh, they totally well, should. Maybe. That, that, <laughs> actually, totally should. that actually would be pretty good, I think. <laughs> Well, legendary the notebook <laughs> if i if i may what i think is kind of different that they realize is that they don't need a team so what we've seen previously is that when you play a game like legendary originally it was marvel which was great because you had different superheroes and you're supposed to combine these teams mm -hmm. and use 
whether or not they're on the Avengers or Marvel Knights right. or an X-Men, whatever it may be. Now what they're doing is realizing, oh, maybe we can just have it be a skill set and one hero. That's actually what you get in 007 is that it's one James Bond – but what you're doing is combining his different abilities because he's basically a superhuman. So is he using his stealth skill? Is he using his shooting skill? Is he using his intelligence skill? Whatever you want to say. And that's Some how they're combining. Gadget. Right, exactly. And yeah, so yeah. I think they're being a little bit inventive with the mechanic. Um, you know, nice. is it the same gimmick? Is it the same, you know, basic gameplay as something like Legendary? Yes, absolutely. But I do think they're introducing enough variability to make it fun with the IP. And, and that and that what I mean there is that they're trying to think about, okay, what is this franchise all about? And how do we translate it into our system that we've established, but not lose people who are familiar with the mechanic? From what I saw, I'm going to say Upper Deck is doing a good job with this. I could see this 007 series being their next big thing because they're putting really? a lot of thought into – yeah, a lot of thought into how do we translate it into a tabletop simulation. Right. Well, so I got to admit, something that is a little bit uh, confusing to me or that I don't understand is Legendary is a big – game like everyone knows what that is but and i played it for many years i have many of the expansions and really enjoyed it but as it doesn't take long of you playing it before you start realizing that there are some just rudimentary flaws in that game that that cause it to be like ugh, i you know why why does this suck and i and i mean mechanics like um bad guys come out really early and you can't do anything about it and then you just die that's you know, kind or, of and, kind of typical of deck builders. I think the biggest, the most um, egregious issue with that game is that it doesn't um, scales terrible. It doesn't scale well with player count. That's, right. That's so, the biggest so my, my question come or comment is that that Upper Deck continues to put out these tons of these things, and all I'm hearing now is that they they're not only investing in one James Bond thing, they're going to invest a lot of stuff, and they're basing it on this 2012 system that is kind of <laughs> flawed. I. It's weird that they picked one well system it, and then they're making everything. For I it. think you have a good point there, Mike. So, I mean, I think that the, they have not intended to expand this in terms of player count by any means necessary. I mean, I think Marvel yeah. Legendary is just as good at two as it is five, which I think believe is the limit. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not doing anything to expand upon that. And I, I, I understand that because most deck builders – do suffer from the problem, in my personal opinion, that you're waiting on everyone else's turn. Yes, um, that's and, right. And so I think they're purposefully trying to keep it down to five. I will say this because I'm gonna I'm gonna call Dennis again for asking the best question because he said, <laughs> "Well, let me get this straight. If the general mechanic is the same, we got the stars and we got the slashy things that are hit points. Yeah. Couldn't I just combine a James Bond movie with the Marvel Universe? <laughs> right. Couldn't I right. just have Cyclops, Iron Man, Storm, and Rogue fight Odd Job, um, and, and and have yeah. that be wonderfully entertaining? And I wish you could have seen the person's face who th- said, "Well." Yeah, there's nothing that would actually stop you from doing that. We don't say you could do it in the rules. And Dennis's brain just went off on a tangent, imagining all these wonderful universes right. where you throw in Firefly and you throw in aliens and you throw sure. in. I think Marvel. the oh, yeah, I so think the fun. short version of the answer he gave us was that um, I think it's MGM or whoever 
owns the IP of, of James Bond is pretty, um, you know, restrictive on what you can and can't do with their character as a lot of rights holders are. And so the, the official stance of, of upper deck is that these are separate. You don't, you don't mix. We are not mixing Marvel heroes with James Bond, but of course, the players in the community are going to do whatever. Oh, he was so do. winking at us. Like, yeah, exactly. He was like he was like shaking his head, at, like he was like nodding yes, be like no, like imagine me nodding my head up and down. Yes, of course you could do that by saying no. You should never do that. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I mean that that is something about and yeah, you know, honestly, I've never done that. I've only played Marvel characters with Marvel or you know, uh, alien with alien, but you know, you're right. But there's nothing to stop why? you. Right. Because the, the, right. the values and the system is mostly the same. Yeah. You, you should be able to, to have a game with one from every one. You have star Lord mixed with Kaylee mixed with, uh, Hicks from alien mixed with, uh, you know, there's uh, really no reason you can't do that. Um, right. Right. We need okay. Now we're doing that next time. All right, we have got to play one game. <laughs> that is a good transition because I have a company that is actively trying to do that. Can I talk a little bit about my favorite thing sure. I saw at Gen Con? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right, so I want to talk a little about Mondo and Restoration Games. So many people made okay. Mondo. They originally started out doing um, T-shirts, actually, and they moved into art and prints and things like that. They're known for okay. very stark um, color transitions between between what they do. They're they're beautiful, beautiful things they do in terms of artwork. They have decided okay. to get into the game business now. Their first foray into this was a game called The Thing. Um, based upon John Carpenter's okay. legendary 80s horror film. And it was excellent. Yep. Unfortunately, yep. the IP for that or the license ran out. So what they are doing now is trying to resecure all this other great IP and they're making asymmetrical games um, for two to four players. And they all are interchangeable. That's the best part. What, what do you mean? Describe what you mean by No, I'd be happy to. Games. So the system is called Unmatched. And basically the idea okay. is it is a miniature fighting game for two to four players. Um, each hero has their own deck of cards that they can use that is very um, – embodies the character they're playing. And I say that because the characters they okay. play are – Basic are all people you'd know. So Battle of Legends, for example, Volume 1, is the characters are King Arthur, Alice in Wonderland, Medusa, and Sinbad. Okay? And each one has their own deck of cards and they're fighting on the literary scale, trying to be Now, you you mean the comedian Sinbad, right? Yeah, no, I don't mean that at all. (laughs) The comedian Sinbad. But that's like one one (laughs) box you could buy. Okay, but then there are other boxes like the next one after that is called Robin Hood versus Bigfoot. Nice. Okay, this is exactly right. And the next one after that, Bruce Lee, just Bruce Lee. He's just a character you can add in and he just fights everyone. Right. Nice. After that, you know, because his hands are registered. Right, exactly. And then after that, there are three Jurassic Park, uh, you know, expansions that come in. There's InGen versus Raptors. There's Sattler versus a T-Rex and just, you know, Alan Grant. Um, And so, again, they just jump in. And so. What's cool about this is they come with these little miniatures, they come with their each individual deck, and you can just combine the boards together. And basically, at some point, you could have Alan Grant versus Medusa versus Robin Hood versus Bruce Lee. Like, that's right. the whole I mean, idea. That's, this, 
This is very Marvel versus Capcom or um, what's the game? Heroes yes. of the Storm. Yes, right? it is. Dennis? But I, sure. but I, yeah. but man, Mike and Dennis, when you see the artwork for this, it is absolutely gorgeous. And they're getting exceptional game designers to put this together. I really think this is going nice. to be the hot new thing. They, they had, they right, had, I gotta write, I gotta write yeah, that please down. do Mondo games. Mm-hmm. Um, the first, uh, I guess iteration of this is now available. It's all called unmatched. So it's all in one big series. It's like unmatched yeah. colon, whatever battle of legends. Volume one is the one that's out now, I guess for that. That is a long yeah, is. name. Unmatched yeah. It's got, it's got a colon and a comma. Um, so, Whoa, but I'm, is it an anime? But I'm telling you out of all the things <laughs> I saw at Gen Con that, that I could not unfortunately take home with me. This was the thing that I wish I had in my hands because I'm gonna I'm gonna say I think this is the big new thing that we're gonna see over the next several years. People are gonna have unmatched um, properties and they're gonna meet with their friends and they're gonna mix and match them. And it's gonna be really really fun. Asymmetrical so that's cool. deck miniature battle. So when you say <laughs> when you say asymmetrical, are you talking about like a um uh. Imperial Assault kind of thing, like a one verse three. Yeah, well, um, I mean, it's not specifically one right, versus right, three, but, obviously. But my but... point is that each um, each character has their own win condition and abilities. That's what I mean by asymmetrical. Hmm. So the thing, so you may have okay. a common board, but the way in which I can move across the board is drastically different than what you can do on the board, and how I win is probably very, very different than how you can win. That's what I mean by asymmetrical. I see. And so if you're playing as the okay. Raptors, you know, you have, you know, you're basically your condition is you can like sprint across the board and tear someone apart. But if you're playing as someone else, you maybe your win condition isn't to destroy all the characters, but secure certain areas. That's what I mean. And it's oh, cool. and it's miniatures like um like hero clicks kind of thing, so you're you're still um you're still just basically fighting yeah and when i say miniatures i mean they're the plastic miniatures i mean but you are basically yeah, you course. basically do have a grid in front of you a la D, a la lots of other games where you are basically have um set movement patterns but again who you're playing mm-hmm. as defines how far you can move how fast you can move where you can move things like that sure man i i gotta say I, to comment on your thing about the the art and how they came from an art background as i was moving through the con this year there is no doubt that artwork for board games is getting to be amazing. I mean, it's beautiful. I just was just looking at the booth posters and some of the boards. And Dennis had said, you know, before you could get away with just putting meeples out and, and some basic stuff and you have the game <laughs> design. Nowadays, you can't do that. You can't just have a good game or just a game has artwork and is terrible game. You got to have it all. It's highly competitive. And because it is it is gorgeous. I, I I will take some of these cards or these card games and want to put them on the wall because they're so beautiful. Um, and, and a lot of these people take these, you know, these game art and they put them on their um, card mats or mouse pads or things like that. And you, and you look at them and you say, that was just for one piece of art that somebody drew this gorgeous yeah. painting. I you mean, know? that's that's one of the things I really like about Fantasy Flight's lord of the rings card game the art is all custom commissioned lord of the rings art it's no you know it was 10 years after the movies and so they didn't do screenshots of the movies like people did for 10 years after those films came out yeah 
it, it's just so neat to to see games now and and just look at them for their how beautiful they are. And and yeah. I will admit, it's so many times I'll walk down the aisle and I'll like, ooh, what's this? And it has nothing to do with the game. It's just that this looks neat. Yeah. Well, right? it's a big thing now. I mean, especially as I think that people are realizing that tabletop games is the way to extend IP. I mean, Dennis, you mentioned Lord of the Rings, and now we're starting to see this resurgence where tabletop companies are trying to gather up anything they can in terms of franchises in order to turn them into successful board games. It's not always successful. Ghostbusters, remember Mike, you and I tried Ghostbusters and that was terrible game. Unfortunately awful. But I will say this Gen Con did feature many games based off of successful IPs that were built by really smart artists and board game designers. Um, Right. First and foremost, I want to call out uh, Ravensburger, who put out um, Jaws, the game, um, a few months back, which is absolutely fantastic. It is the quintessential game if you like that movie. I mean, it's really oh, funny. I saw, I saw the artwork for that. I didn't oh, get to play that. It was fun. Like, yes. it's so good. It's is so it? okay. good. Yes, it is. It is playable over and over again. One person plays the shark, and the first act, <laughs> the first half of the game is um, hidden movement. So you don't know where the, mm-hmm. you, the, the the shark moves around and tracks it on a pad of paper, um, and the <laughs> other three the other three characters Quint, uh, Hooper, and and, and um, oh gosh, how am I gonna how am I not gonna do this? Hooper, Brody, Brody, Hooper. Um, <laughs> Uh, you yeah. know, are trying to figure out where the, the shark is. And then in the latter half, the shark is attacking the orca. So like trying to bite away the the boat. Um, they're doing really great stuff. They also put out at this show, which is one of the, the games that was on the hot list called Horrified, which featured all the universal monsters. So essentially uh, Frankenstein, the Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula, the Mummy, Invisible Man, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, things like that and put that into a, into a game. Um, and they let me announce on this show that they are working on a back to the future game, the quintessential back to the future game. And oh my gosh, I am so happy it is in their hands. So they're going to make a game, um, where what I've been told is that Biff has stolen the DeLorean and (laughs) the protagonists are trying to track him down. It's going to be a cooperative game set through different time periods. Um, okay. But uh, I got to tell you, Man, seeing what I've seen from the previous two games, um, it's going to be great. I, there's awesome. no question in my mind. They got Chris Leader uh, on lead, you know, doing the design. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. So that is the big piece of news I can reveal uh, nice. having talked to them at, at Gen Con. So we're not going to see awesome. it till probably next year. Uh, yeah. It's not coming until fall 2020. But but yeah, it's right. going to be it's going to be awesome. Well, that that's something that's important to think about, too, when we talk about these these games. And it's it's. Uh, we talk about theme like or IP. You just mentioned Jaws and how Back to the Future is you, you have a lot of faith in Back to the Future because Jaws was thematic to the game. The way you just described it is like you're playing kind of through the movie and it's very important how they design that game is based around what the spirit of Absolutely. The, the IP was. As opposed to a lot of games and Marvel is is. Uh, falls into this a lot of times is that they have a game Munchkin. and then they just skin it. You know, they just put these people over top of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a skin. And that's, that's what's something I give Ravensburger a lot of credit for is that they don't, they don't try to reskin an old game with, you know, a franchise. They actually think, okay, you know, how does this game feel? What, what mechanics would fit this movie or this particular show or whatever it may be. Right. That's why I love Jaws, and that's why yeah, I, I mean, thought I, Horrified was I great. Play, 
I play games like, you know, the, the DC deck builder game and things like that. And, and you, you realize that you're just playing the mechanics and it happens to have Batman on the card. You know, it's, right. it doesn't really, you know what I'm saying? Or, yeah. uh, we played, well, mo, I'll tell you what, this is not a bash on them, but, uh, AEG is a big game company and they make tons of games, but they definitely seem to make mechanics first and then skin it with something. Not necessarily big IPs. They don't have a lot of big IPs, but they just put, oh, this is a, um, town building game. A Tetris you know, builder. But, yeah. The Tetris builder or something, but, but it's, it's not, <laughs> it's not anything with the IP at all. It's just mechanics first, and then we figure a skin. Well, and they don't um, really. I can't. I can't think of any of their games that are IP. Uh, they don't. They they might have some out there. They're a big publisher, but no, they don't. Yeah. Um. They they they're very thematic, so they will build a game like that is based off, um, you know, uh, Nordic mythology or fairy mythology, but mm. they don't. Ha- they don't own a particular IP, unlike right. many of the other big companies like fantasy flight or well you, know, you don't have Renegade. to necessarily be an ip i'm, I'm going to point out an example a game that i enjoyed and bought and i'm going to buy more expansions for is a game called mystic veil mm-hmm. uh it's a great game it's the mechanics are sound and it's wonderful and they make it like based around druids and you read about it like oh you're you're tending a grove like no none of that matters because it's just the the mechanics that you're playing and they put a skin on it and then they kind of you could tell that they kind of it's an afterthought for and we're going to make this uh, fantasy based. I'll I'll play well, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit and I, and okay, say that sure. some of that is probably what you make of it because it? Okay. there's like I mentioned earlier, Love Letter. There's a whole story behind Love Letter. It's based on a much larger game, as I understand it, a much larger game with this whole complicated, um, let's say mythology of you know courtship court intrigue and and that kind of thing. And of course, Love Letter is a very simple game, but if you care to get into it i had played it for you know at least dozens of times before reading through the little book and going oh i see what this you know what these different rules mean and of course you know it's which thing you want to focus on and it's harder to see those connections if it's not a mythology or an ip that you're familiar with already. well that that's actually i'll pay devil's advocate devil's advocate again that's because that's actually a really bad example that you I, I i believe what you're saying with many things but i know you that one in particular so no 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 not just, just love letter it's that uh, i just read like during gen con was just reading about the the designer of Le, of Le, love letter i can't think of his name but he made that game based on mechanics only like the it sure. was a challenge it was a challenge that they had given him that you could have to make an 11 11 card game he says, and he took he wanted that he took that as a challenge to figure out a system that he could do, and that's why he won all the awards for it because he did, and he won that challenge and won money and got got it all started. Uh, but he all he did was make the system first, and then afterwards, like okay, now we got to sell this, and then he adapted it. He didn't adapt sure. it. I mean, he he put like things. Right. In it. That's why you see yeah. Love Letter has a million. Yeah, it doesn't skins. matter. I mean, there's Batman Love it really Letter. Really doesn't like matter. That. Well, it and, yeah, you're. You're right Batman that it letter, that it doesn't. Right. The the few expansions that I've played do introduce some new card or new rule that tries to incorporate that IP. Otherwise, there's no point in buying it. So there's no point in them yeah. producing it. But I think it. you make a good point, but, Mike. I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, and and I I 
I guess when I want to go back is I, I enjoy, it's really fun to get a good developer and designer that will make a game that no, has I, the theme. I, yeah, I agree with you, Mike. Yes, and actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to use that right. to segue into, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to just kind of pitch all these different things, but, um, you know, I love no, no, we're good. when yeah. there is the combination of two things that I absolutely care about. And that often is a film and, and a tabletop game. So mm-hmm. I want to call it USAopoly, who... Sure. Of course. If I'm mm. being very transparent, they've made a lot of crap mm-hmm. games over the years. They've basically been like, oh, they've been responsible for such things <laughs> yeah. like all the Monopoly IPs you've ever heard of, like Stranger Things Monopoly. But, yeah. but. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but. Ugh. That literally uh, is just I, another blow. I got to go over right. there and see the designer of what they're calling Die Hard, the Nakatomi uh, Heist. And it is it is the quintessential diehard game, and I gotta tell you, uh, <laughs> okay, the two of you, it looks great. I have a copy at my house. It's actually set up on my game game board uh, table. Okay, and oh my gosh, I think it really captures again the spirit of the movie. So it's it's played over three acts. Um, in the first That's act, um, it, it's one v three. It's kind of like Jaws, where basically. Three people play as the thieves. Uh, the Hans Gruber token rotates. One person plays as McLean. And each act <laughs> is sort of a different, um, I guess, floor of the Nakatomi Tower. So it starts out where uh, John McLean has three objectives. He has to get a radio. He has to get a gun. Uh, I think he has to get shoes that they say don't fit. Um, but basically, you know, it's it's played across sort the of this idea fit, no. where the thieves are trying to either kill John McClane or they could win by unlocking the vault. And so there are two things they can do to try and ha- meet their objectives, whereas John McClane obviously has to keep sabotaging the, the villains. It works amazingly well because someone took the time to really watch the movie and think okay how can i translate this into an experience for players when that is done that is excellent so i i i I think that the i think it's gonna be good i totally agree yeah i mean and part of that is figuring out what what is unique and what is game like about that property i mean we've not so much on the mm-hmm. show, but Michael and sure. I over the last year and a half have gone around and around with this uh, about Star Trek. You're like, what is Star Trek? I mean, Star Trek right, is an IP right. that I feel after this experience and just think about it is notoriously difficult to gamify. Like, because it's so it's so narrative. Right. It's so metaphorical. Um, for years, one of the, you know, best loved secret role betrayal style games mm-hmm. was the... Mm-hmm. Uh, Battlestar Galactica game, um, a game that I personally have only played once. That time that seems Pat like a problem. All of us silence, <laughs> except for like one person. Um, but that that idea that like it's like the um, the changelings in in Deep Space Nine. Just to go back to Star Trek, because of course, um, <laughs> because of course, or the um, or the scrolls in Marvel. That idea of right. an enemy hidden in your midst that you can't find you can't see they're indistinguishable from your allies um and that that concept that cylon concept fits perfectly with that style of game and that hence it's uh success for many years until somebody you know tweaked up the mechanics and made something 
uh, <laughs> well on that. that note do you do you mind so mike a year ago the big game that was at gen con was star trek ascension it was brand new they were debuting it yeah, but sure. if i understand correctly you got to play this game at this gen con what I, what did you I, think I about did. it speaking of usaopoly because that, that's where i went to the usaopoly booth for that um to play that game the it's, you know, I kind of wanted Dennis to play it. I mean, I didn't, I wanted to play him to play it post, not like before. I was like, you got to play this game. But as I was playing it, I wanted Dennis to play this game and see what he thought. Because, and mixed, it it has a lot of the theme. It does get this like idea of you're exploring each one of the, it has all of the races, the Klingons, the Cardassians, the Federation. It's got the Romulans. And each one of those character classes, whatever they are, plays very differently and has very and is restricted in their goals like the the federation um wins by diplomacy they go and go to they explore new planets and they they can't get like end game points by attacking Hmm. Um, and then the ferengi can't attack and they get end game points for being at every planet and giving people money and them getting money and so it was very thematic that way but that went thematic on the deep end. It was like there were so many differences that it just took forever. Like it, it was just mm. such a big game. And I, there's no way it's got to be made for six players because it was six players and we just took up like four huge tables. Um, it, but it was it was just a lot. I mean, you know, there. Like, I know there, how to play my class and my characters, but then you're doing your thing and on your rules. There are any number of those big, long, big, big table games like the fantasy flight game of thrones game um where they really are even though they will hold up to six players they really function better no more than four yeah and i think this one out of the box comes with three uh like classes or whatever they are so you have to keep buying the expansions and stuff to play the different ones um but i i will say though this was to take it back to our original stuff about theme and gameplay and whatnot this captured the theme well uh, a game I p- used to love playing like twice was the World of Warcraft uh, board game. It got got everything about the MMO great, but it was six to eight hours. <laughs> yeah, I, and, I and this played one, that last year at uh, yeah, and this one is like a six hour game as well. What's the so? What's the format the, of it? Does it play like a like a, like Twilight Imperium? Well, this was what I was thinking when, I was, when Fox was talking here was that. It doesn't play like anything. It plays like its own. And that's a compliment because I yeah, think it's that, unique. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't go and say, I think, well, he's ex- describing Jaws. When you sit down and you think, I'm doing Back to the Future, what can I gamify about this? You should not do, can I make this a deck builder? Can I make this a, a Monopoly game? That's a good point. You should sit there. What What are the mechanics that can I make, you know, to go through Nakatomi Plaza? What does it feel like? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then make the, the rules based on that. And that's how this Star Trek Ascension did. It, it, it. They had this. They had the idea of what Star Trek was supposed to be with the exploring part of it and finding new planets and first contact. And I actually played the Borg expansion, so it had a lot to do with the Borg. Mm. Um, but the it, that's what they did. And then they made a game to do that. So while I agree with your, your point that it's hard to gamify star Trek, this one did an okay job. Just, it was very long and very big. I'm going to, I'm going to remember this conversation the next time you want star Trek adventures to be D and D. 
just so you're aware. Of that. <laughs> is that right? Uh-uh. Yeah, it, it, it is very different, and and that just depends on what you want. If you really want to go into a theme and and really go deep dive, but I I personally games are different. Everyone likes all different kinds of things. Sure. But for me, a time is a factor for playing games. Sometimes at ICGCon, I will want to sit and play a six-hour game. But most of the time of the year, an hour is going to be my kind of limit, and you have to get me and have a good time in the, in that hour. Mm. Um, so I want to I want to play a Back to the Future game. I do, but if they make it so detailed that you're playing a six-hour game. Er, I, I don't, don't think it's. I mean, I mean, you could it, watch it all it the movies in that amount. They're they're known exactly, for making exactly. family favorite games. I don't think they're going to do that. I mean, no, Jaws, they would not. They would not. Of course, right? Jaws plays in an hour. Horrify plays an hour. And and both of those games are games that I know that grandparents are now playing with their grandchildren. Right. Um. And so, like, I gotta say, Ravensburger was known for a long time for making puzzles, uh, jigsaw puzzles. Yeah, they I, got good I knew the IP name to make. That's where you probably know them from. They they put out Harry Potter puzzles and other mm, IPs, okay. and then they decided like, well, we're good at this. Why don't if you know why don't we try our hand at games? They put out a Jurassic Park game about two or three years ago. They did a good job, and now everything they've made is subsequently better. So like, I am a huge right. fan of, of Back to the Future. This is the company I would love to see make that game. So I'm I mean, going to put it out exciting. there now. It could be. I think it's going to be great. I mean, that's real exciting to know because, you know, larger companies have a MO of doing things like, and I'm going to point out Fantasy Flight here since we're still on the topic of IPs. Fantasy Flight gets a lot of IPs. That's okay. They're dead and, to me. <laughs> right. right. And, and if, you get, if you get a game coming, like let's say you told me that uh, Fantasy Flight was going to make a Back to the Future game. My first thought was that it would be a six-hour game. They're like, oh, man, they're going to get it And it would have great miniatures. It would have great miniatures that would cost you a, a $100. You want the premiere DeLorean? Oh, exactly. well, very high that's an add-on. Value. Right. But, but, but other companies getting it, it's either a mix. It's either going to be like, okay, they're just going to cash in on the IP or they're going to give us a good hour long game that we can play. I think that's a good sweet spot for most people is, is yeah, I'm going to get in so much trouble for bashing fantasy flight, but I don't care. Uh, (laughs) I'm on on the premiere front porch podcast. I can tell you fantasy flight peaked after Imperial assault and maybe the Lord of the Rings is like a glimpse of what they used to be, but they are just putting out everything and hoping that something sticks. Mm. Renegade studios is kind of doing the same thing. They're buying up IP. They're putting out like, 20 games a year because they allow people to submit their own games and they're like well we don't really care we'll buy it from you for very minimal money we'll mass produce it and if it doesn't work it doesn't work um uh, that feels I, like aeg yeah it's kind of aeg too so yeah. um <laughs> they, they also seem I, to I mean, take a somewhat of an iterative approach which is not i mean that's good in principle, but it's difficult with something as expensive as tabletop games. Um, I mean, I, when I, I was mean, getting so into much trouble, when I was yeah. getting into the Lord of the Rings LCG, there were a lot of people on Reddit and on the forum saying, you know, well, in the um, Arkham Horror card game, that's not the title. What it's it's something like that. It might actually be. Um, no, it is. It's Arkham Horror the card game. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they have a tabletop. They have a board game and a card game, and the card game is another living card game like Lord of the Rings. And they're like, yeah, they. They tightened up a lot of the mechanics and this and that and the other, but I'm like, I don't want to play a Cthulhu game. I want to play a Lord of the Rings game. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want a hopeless, dark, dreary tentacle monster. I have enough cynicism in my in my brain already. <laughs> um, and 
you know, things like Twilight Imperium is up to its fourth edition now. Uh, the the Game of Thrones game is... What? I've never heard of that. ...is fraught with oh, yeah. problems and, uh, you know, is probably due for a second edition. But if they do a second edition... Keeps like, getting expansions. Who's going to buy it? Is an expansion going to fix it? And it's... It's a whole, yeah. It's a whole big thing. I, I know yeah, they did I, um, journeys in Middle Earth, which we've talked about a, a couple uh, times. Yeah. Mike and the and the Bloomington yeah. guys are are playing it. They're they're dipping their toe in digital with Fantasy Flight Interactive, which is a whole. I was like, going to say is is that that's their actual thing, Foxes. I think that Fantasy Fantasy Flight's new direction that will cause them to gain something back will be their digital arm. So that they're they're really bringing in the iPad or the the mobile devices into the gaming thing, which I think should happen. I fully, after playing Journeys, I think it can work really well. Oh, I you're you're talking like, about the hybrid experience because the the Lord of the Rings um, living card game has has a fully standalone app. It's not. It's, oh no, yeah, I'm talking. Well, about that's that. not that's not what I th- maybe I'm I'm wrong here, Mike. But what I hear you saying is that they're looking at digital as the future and moving more and more away from tabletop is that your argument or am i mis- am i okay incorrect? well yes no let, let, let me take a step back first off first off i want to start off by saying that fox i think it's good that you're taking this kind of like stance or point of fantasy flight you know uh opinion be damned type thing i think that that that's a good thing because I agree. I think Fantasy Flight it has really had some problems and and it's they're glaring things. They they've struggled on where they're going and what kind of games they make, and then they keep rehashing stuff and IPs and expansions. And I think the the people are also getting tired of it. I will say that they had a big block of a room at Gen Con this year and just had a line. You couldn't even go into their store, and that was almost yeah, insulting. If you it ask was. me, it's, it's the IP uh, man. It, it really bothered me. So. That being said, I have played um, two of their games that are these um, hybrid tabletop and video. I want to say I don't want to call them video games, but they're, they they yeah, interact they have a, with they, digital stuff. They have a some com- sort of app component. App okay. component. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's uh, not even. I want to I want to call it a companion app, but it's really more than that. It's not. It's it's totally part of it, and you really need to play these games to understand if you want to review and what what the kind of future of board games can be. And that's Mansions of Madness and the uh, Lord of the Rings Journey through in Mordor, and that those two games are great. They think about playing Imperial Assault, but the the one other player that which would be the Imperials Imperial Assault is run by the computer and has the voiceovers and has moving images from the story that's being told through each it thing. Does sound cool. It is very cool. And and everything the thing is is the best part about those two games that Fantasy Flight has made is that the the instruction booklet only tells you the rules that you need to know. There's a whole bunch of rules in the background that's happening that we don't know. Like how how does this how is this board set up or are these um, little searchable things that we get to search in the bookcase? Is that random or is that ma- we don't know? I mean, it sounds what like Fantasy Flight is just going to make cyborg hosts that come to my house and like sit down <laughs> exactly. and play games with me and say right. no you've violated the rules the you rules i know <laughs> I, I will say the best part about it the reason i think it's good for fantasy flight is because fantasy flight has so many rules their books are that's like true they're they're tomes. huge books they're tomes and nobody wants to play a fantasy flight game because they just take so long so they have said 
they're good mechanics, guys. These games we're making that are eight hours long are great, but you know what? We what can we do? Okay, well we can take half the game out and all half the rules, and just let the computer. Well, play. every time we every time we talk about Journeys in Middle Earth, even though I've never played it, I always think about Gloomhaven uh, because that was the big deal mm-hmm. last year. It's still very popular. Um, Fox, you played Gloomhaven, right? <laughs> once or twice. I have. I played through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that. There is a third-party companion app for Gloomhaven, and it's great because it only shows you one room of the map at a time. I mean, you can toggle exactly. it on and off, but you don't get spoilers on the next room, which is important. You're like, hey, uh, Berserker, how about you open the door, and I'll just hang back here because I know there are two fire elementals right inside. Because I yeah, am the totally fun- true. The, the functional yes. DM of this, uh, of this game. And that's a thing I haven't heard as much this year, but like last year, the year before... A lot of companies were trying to do some kind of RPG, we'll call it GM-less, um, you know, whether that's with cards or an app or, you know, things like One Night Werewolf, um, which is another game with a with a necessary app component. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when I'm playing Gloomhaven with my, with my family, I can't really go AFK. I can't go, like get another drink or whatever because i have to run the monsters i have to turn the cards for the mon- because i've just exactly. been doing it the whole time and so if i leave they're like we didn't know what we're supposed to do to you know that game is exactly. if you watch the like shut up and sit down <laughs> yeah right it's if not you, a good thing if you watch the the review of that game from shut up and sit down they're one like sort of caveat not really complaint but like warning i guess to it is that there's a lot of what they call admin. There's all of this setup and all of this teardown, and you got to sort out these things, and you got to keep all this stuff straight every time you go through a new round. And the Lord of the Rings Living Card Game is the same way. Um, and so, definitely for people who really get into that, there are plenty of games out there that do that. But for your not quite casual, but slightly more casual players who are like, yeah, can we have a game that takes two hours instead of three and a half? Just yes. because half of that time is counting bits and snapping things onto other things or whatever. Not right. that a physical game isn't always going to have those kind of things, but you know, maybe an hour of that is math. Right. And well, so, so I think that fantasy flight is doing that exact thing you're talking about They're, they're That's their future is to make these things that take their admin out of it. But that being said, they're fantasy flight. And that means that the first expansion of this journey of middle earth was just a pack of three miniatures that weren't painted and they were just, they didn't do anything to the game except give you miniatures and they charge you $35. And you're like, what? I mean, because that's fantasy flight miniatures fantasy are flight expensive just puts, man yeah but they just put out these you know those will start putting expansion after expansion after expansion and not think right that's what fantasy flight does so i i feel i feel the fantasy flight thing i'm a little i'm a little uh cautiously optimistic about their digital initiative but you know uh i, I would love to see these smaller companies come in and, and do the things that they're doing and succeed I'm not putting down big game companies because I, I love them. I'll buy their stuff. I really will. Uh, but yeah, it's funny, Fox, because Fox, you were an Imperial Assault guy at 
back in the day. You were a big Imperial Assault guy, weren't you? And I still am. But I think that's actually a remnant of what Fantasy Flight was. I mean, how many years ago did Fantasy Flight put out Imperial Assault? They put out expansions all the time, but I think they've moved in a very different direction from when they first started making games. Yeah, I can't even... I, I, I'm probably wrong in this. I can't think of anything besides now uh, the new Lord of the Rings one that they put out since that was notable. You know, that everybody was clamoring. Yeah, Lord of the Rings is the only one I can think of. Yeah, I, you're probably right. And they just ex- kept expanding the other games. Oh, maybe... They, do they do... I'm sure they put out little, like, two-player Star Wars card games or stuff, but... They really don't. I mean, they're actually very into the miniatures now, and then mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. they do is they basically buy lots of um, independent games and decide what of the various arms they want to publish them through. So Fantasy Fly is owned by Asmodee, um, yep. and they own Plat Hat games, Z-Man games, and a whole bunch of uh, Fantasy Flight and a whole bunch of other things. Most people don't realize that, but they are the Disney, the Disney of, of board games. <laughs> yeah, they exactly. Are. They really are. Yeah. Man, there's a, some, we don't have time for it on the show, but I, I read a great article last week. I, I wanted to send you Fox about how the, because we don't talk about politics on the show, but how the, how trade tariffs are affecting the gaming industry. Um, but when you realize things like Asmodee, you know, owning, having this huge monopoly in our huge grip on the board game industry, you start realizing that the board game, tabletop board game industry is a lot less like competitive in a lot of things like the, the marketing for the little pieces or making the miniatures goes through like three different people in, in all of North America and, or China and, and Korea. And there's so much that every game designer has to go through because of restrictions in the tabletop world, you know, creation world. And these big players, you know, they shift a little bit and they'll say, we're going to make miniatures. And then they'll, you know, the miniatures, the, the three, miniatures developers shift their entire thing and now it costs more for everyone else or costs less or whatever it's can i tell you a funny one mike real quick that i just recently learned so you ever see on the side of the box where it says the age restriction like or not uh the age restriction it says like oh 10 and up or 14 and up up. so the majority of them are way higher than they should be because apparently there are super restrictive laws about testing games with younger children and oh, really? so okay. most game companies even though they know their game is super simplistic and can be played by younger players it costs more money to test it with those individuals who are younger and so they don't um try it out with them so they make the game <laughs> wow. say 10 and up even that. though it's okay. like six it's and like, up it's like Isn't we talked about last week with uh with chernobyl and the, like the restriction kind of thing. I, I mean, don't remember if, as an outsider, that sounds like a huge jump in topic, but that's fine. <laughs> no, I think saying the same thing. He's like, you know, you can't test things on kids just like Chernobyl. Well, it's, it's that like, <laughs> like restriction and process and like what you go through with the thing. I know that I saw talking wow, about, wow, wow. talking about games with, <laughs> with young children. I saw a game sometime in the last year and I'm not going to remember what game it was, um, where the box said, you know, no, no reading required. And I was like, Oh, that's that's really cool. It's like, you know, the cards have symbols or whatever on them so that you can play them, play it with a child who cannot yet read, you know? Oh yeah. Okay. Smart. Uh, Yeah. Which there's not a lot of games that are for kids. They're like, let's say I can't even think of one besides they're super simple games. that are for kids. Old old classics, like, like sorry and shoots and ladders and stuff. Well, that's the problem is that I know like Fox has got a younger child and I've got, I, 
kids that I play with that are younger. And I, and I think I go to Gen Con and I, this year I wanted to buy several of them. And I'm like, what am I stuck with? Everything says 14 and up. Oh, you, I bought, you, you can't go by that. You, so, so you this can't, is my, this right. Is, that's that's well, the Mike, point that's he was exactly making. My point. So just right. because it says 14 and up doesn't mean that kids younger than that couldn't play it. It just means exactly. they only tested it for You're child right. laws. That, that's that's an interesting. I so, did not know that. Yeah, you but should now know that. It yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I, I totally should. And that's that's an injustice to the consumer, right? I go into the uh, Gen Con auction hall store, consignment store, and I'm looking through these things. I've never heard this before, but it looks like it's be a good, it's a Harry Potter game, and it says 14 up. I don't buy it. Right. That's well, an injustice to the consumer, right? So I mean, well. the the most complicated board game I have, according to Board Game Geek, is Power Grid. My six-year-old will kick your behind in power. <laughs> he will totally right. negotiate for power plants and know where to put his cities and what resources he needs. And he's six. So right. again, like it, the, the challenge rating and the who it's meant for on the side of the box is very contingent upon who they tested it with, which is also contingent about the amount of money they had to test it. Yeah, so it's basically just a junk stat on the side of the board. Right? I mean, to me, I'm I'm not a parent, but the two metrics I would be looking at is how it, how much reading is required, and are they going to choke on the pieces? Maybe although if they're young enough well, to choke on board game pieces, they're too young to play any board game. They're probably, too young to play but, anything. Right. Uh, but well, the reading part you don't know. Like if you just have a box and you flip it over at Target, you don't know. I know how that much it is right? one year for Christmas. I bought my nieces and nephew a copy of Ticket to Ride First Ride or whatever it's called, the kids Ticket mm-hmm, to Ride. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that they ever played it. Like my oldest niece was already eleven or twelve or whatever, and they're like, "No, we want to play real Ticket to Ride, not this real Ticket to Ride." Kid, which was yeah. which is on me. That's. Yeah, I would think Nathan would want to play like real ticket to ride, right? At six years old. Almost certainly. And there's and there's very Absolutely. little reading in that game. Right? Like you have the names right. of the cities, but you could probably figure it out from the pictures. And everything else is is colors and symbols. Hmm. Man, in, insights into the industry there. I get that one. Okay, guys, so we're we're running along here on time. I want to pull some wrap up stuff on Gen Con here. Uh so we did uh I gotta say, Fox. Next year, I want to. I want to be able to go around to a couple things in there and just kind of listen to the things. I'd I love mean, to go Dennis to the smaller, can. I'd like Dennis to go can to the attest. It's a lot of. I mean, most of the time he was entertained. Um, when we got to talk to <laughs> publishers and like actually hang out, I mean, it's you know, it, it's a great time. Just actually engaging right. with the artists when it is that situation is really yeah. fantastic. So please, you know. Yeah. Be be my wingman mostly because I don't want Dennis there. So ah. no, I'm just teasing. Well, I, I, You're this both year, welcome. I, you know I had it. my right. I had I had my um uh, my schedule pretty much packed during the day this year to get to him. But the the lot next year, I'd I'd love to go and try. I really want to go like you, after talking the conversation today to the smaller ones, not like the, the. I mean, it'd be interesting to go to the big name stuff, but I'd love to talk to the indie developer and the and the you know, hey, what's your game and how's this thing and that seems like something. Absolutely, that would those mark at Gen Con is awesome. Yeah, know? and I mean, you can, you know, I always, you know, I always talk about Blizzard, but a, a large company definitely has and can have, doesn't always have, but def, can definitely have creatives that are every bit as passionate about their project as as an indie sure. developer. It's just, it's just a different world, and it's, you know, the the downside is it's probably harder to get to that person. They might not be right. at Gen Con. 
How, how did you guys feel about talking to Gen Con in general this year? How did you feel about the crowds? Was it uh, they're always breaking records every year at this at this place? And I'm getting baby. We're I think we were over eighty thousand people here at Gen Con. Uh, did it did it feel crowded? Too big? You still feeling like you can get through the halls? Okay. I didn't spend too much time in the hall, but uh, the last couple of years I've been thinking like they should make the badges like three or four hundred bucks. I think. That's that's a super a hole okay. privilege yeah, thing for a, me to say. As a member but... of the press, I'm fine with that. Sure, um, sure. Because <laughs> you um, get your badge. I got to be honest. I th- I found the hall surprisingly packed. I th- and mm-hmm. I think they yeah. made efforts to actually um, mitigate that. But I felt I'm going to say I want to I want to call out a group to the disadvantage of the woodworkers. So historically, the gaming table mm. companies have been on the floor. So there's this wide open space where you could see how they make these gorgeous felt-laden tables that oh, crank yeah, up and right. down. They put them into the tables. hallway underground. <laughs> right. The hallway sorry between for the convention center and the uh, and Lucasville <laughs> but, Stadium. Oh, my That's God. Right. These are craft makers they are they they do phenomenal work and they were just they were put across the tetris arcade machine i mean it was was sad i i so i mean i i don't know i'm kind of torn because the floor had the most game developers of all time um that was a record they set however there was a huge space where they were just handing out pathfinder rule books that were bricks they were just enormous those things are Yep. And when you say bricks, we're talking about concrete. A literal brick. Stack brick yep. things. Yeah, they're huge. Um, they were uh, just. You know, you're right. Encyclopedia that, Britannica. Uh, they are encyclopedias. <laughs> uh, he's not even joking. So the, the, uh, you're right. I think that they, they need, they've got a little ways to go with their space management here. That was a really good point out about that. They, those guys being in a really terrible spot. And a lot of people on that whole hallway were in terrible spots. Although when you get to Lucas Oil, it's great. Like that is my favorite place of the con to be is in that stadium because it's quiet, it's calm, it all has nice padded floors, and you can find tables to sit at. I really like being over there. But you have to travel to get over there a bit. And I know they're trying to put things in the hallway, but they just haven't figured out what they're doing with it. And they need to they need to do something to make it. This better. is a so little. I, I mean, out. we're we're deep in inside baseball here, but this is a thing that they've started to do that I approve of, and they should do more of. Is they've moved the um, like the reseller booths or the, I guess most of them are resellers. I'm talking about like Troll and Toad, Troll and Toad some yeah. amount of Cool Stuff Inc. Dave and Adams. Yeah. They've moved or they've, th- those are vendors that are, are now have at least two locations in the hall. Um, they've moved one of their locations like into the, what Michael, you call the card hall, but the, the yeah. play hall where the events are. Um, yep. And I think any of those where, People are buying and selling cards, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, mostly Magic the Gathering cards. I think all of that should be out of the exhibit hall. I would agree. Because it takes up a lot of space. There are people sitting there, like, out in the aisle. There are people, like, hovering over, looking at one card at a time. It's just something that clogs up the the flow of traffic. Yeah, and we're, I'm de- I would definitely not say people, we don't want them there. I think you definitely. That's my some of my favorite things to do at Gen Con. Sure, but having them out in that card hall area is that also when the exhibit hall closes, they can stay open later. And right. I like after six o'clock being able to go buy. That's a, game. a really great point. Yeah, I, that 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 would be great. Um, I, I will say also that um, 
a few have you guys ever have you guys done the events where you have these electronic badges where they tickets i mean instead of they just scan your badge instead of i think they did that with true dungeon last year didn't they they did um and i think i don't know why they're not doing that with everyone i think going digital or mobile or using your phones for stuff is just the way to go i don't know why they're still doing this archaic archaic ticket system we have to have a ticket i mean rolling out and training new systems is costly so i get it i guess but they have it it's now, barely so an inconvenience it. it's barely <laughs> an hey <laughs> it's a it's an incremental deployment let's say that's right that that's a a nice little fox fox with his geek scholars hat uh doing the pitch pitch meetings uh call out right <laughs> it's a, a, a very funny youtube channel yeah have you have you not seen that before by the way we watched a little bit of pitch meetings this, this weekend. i i hadn't seen it before last weekend but i'll uh oh. I'll put a link I, I don't think so I don't think Fox had either, right? Because you were, I remember you sitting down and seeing him for the first well, time. Well, I saw I I saw one or two, and I gotta be honest, I texted Dennis and I was like, I can't watch this without you. <laughs> <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, they're 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 uh they're pretty good. The, the earlier ones aren't so great because he until he finds his he finds his groove and then it's he's classic. Yeah. So uh but yeah, those are I don't know, p- putting a pitch in for pitch pitch thing. So it that was really <laughs> fun part. So where where do you okay, these these are three I'm we're three of us here talking to two guys who are big gamers. I mean, we this is what we do all the time. We have shows, we talk about it. Um, but it's not the only part of Gen Con. How would you put this in the last five minutes we have here, how would Jeez. you rank the social aspect of Gen Con? versus like the actual industry part or the gaming part of it is is it how would you weigh that 20 percent 40 percent in sense of how much do we enjoy it how important of a component of the gen con experience is it i'm well that's very i think question. i think i think a component of the gen con experience that's that's a real good point because i will say even when i didn't have all my friends that went i still enjoyed playing games with like people like it was fun sitting down with people who liked playing Battlestar Galactica. I really loved this game and taught me how to play it. And and I, that was a very good social thing for a industry that is not known for social interactions. <laughs> um, so for me, I think part of the Gen Con experience is the social interaction with all of the people that are there. I get asked a lot of times by coworkers and friends, like, why are you going up there for four days just to play games when you can play them here? And a lot of that is that being up there with the people and now with my friends and talking about things. For me, it's a good 40% that the social aspect of Gen Con is an important thing and you have to go to, to experience that. You can't just so do I don't, things. So I don't know if I can summarize this with any kind of brevity, but the the social yeah, component minutes, of it, go. especially <laughs> since, because well, you used up two of my five minutes. Uh, <laughs> The social component of it, especially because I don't live in Bloomington anymore, has become such a major part, I think almost to the detriment of enjoying other aspects of it. I was walking through some part of the hall with my brother David, and we were like, man, imagine if we weren't hung over, how many more things we could do? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It's a big part. It's at the whole, you know, life is about choices. But um, it's it's really all of it because I don't, you know, I don't never make it back to Bloomington. I get down there every other month or maybe a little more. Um, now that I've started coming to ICG Con, I see that as a big time to just play games. And so if there mm, are sure. blocks of time, there are blocks of time at Gen Con where we're not playing games. We're all sitting on the couch watching YouTube. And I'm like, 
I could be doing this with my family that we'd be watching <laughs> more tame YouTube videos maybe, but, right. uh, you know, but that's still a big part of it is hanging out. And then just to add to that, the Gen Con-ness of it, because I know that a couple of the guys in our group, um, Aaron actually did this, didn't buy badges, just came to the Airbnb the and, and hung out with us. Cause they're not as gung ho about games. Obviously for me, the right. games are a big part of it. And so, there are elements of getting access to the store on both ends of it. I I listed, I think, 11 games, and I came back with two, which is good. I'm minimizing games that I don't play <laughs> right. uh, and, and have some money to buy stuff I will play. Um, and, and yes, both. Like, then getting, having the ability to buy things that I, you know, like the Game of Thrones card game that I probably still won't play because you already own it. But um, having access to that getting to these events and maybe meeting a couple people. I'm always, I don't love meeting new people because <laughs> I don't really <laughs> like people that much, but yeah, you, you meet people. Sometimes they're just the person demoing the game and they have a cool story. We had uh, Fox and I, when we did the AEG night, the group that was with us, we had a, a lady demoing who had a kind of funny story about how she got into games through her uh, adult sons. Um, and so you get some of those stories, some of those experiences. And then the, as we were complaining about in the group chat earlier today, the, the difficult big hurdle of complicated board games is learning the rules. And if you go to, even if you go to a booth and in the exhibit hall and get a game explained to you, or you go to a, a ticketed event and you have a volunteer or the creator of the game, explain the rules to you, answer your questions. It's not like you play with your friends and you're like, how do I what happens when yeah. I play this card and you know, the board game geek forums are your friend, but when you're at an event at Gen Con, you ask them and they'll, you know, very yeah. often be like, Oh yeah, that cancels that out. And you're like, yeah. okay, cool. Right. Let's keep going. Keep playing. Um, right. And so Which it's really, cool. it's really all of it. Um, yeah. The, the social aspect is a major component. If I was going to pull a number out of the air, I would say like 35 to 40%. Um, nice. but it, but it really is about all of it. Fox, how about you? This year you came into a, to a Gen Con as I'm using air quotes here as like your job or a job. It's like a thing that, <laughs> that you're doing that you had as to a, do. And as you a had, professional. Had, as a professional. Yeah. Right. And, but I know that you do enjoy coming in and having that big social part. And then there's also the actual, you as a consumer playing games, how, right. how important is the social part to your Gen Con experience? I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be a little bit um, maybe corny or, or fluffy here, but it's the most important part. I mean, I, mm. I got into the games because I met people who I now consider family who mm. liked games and right. I wanted to spend as much time with them as possible. And so yeah. what I love about games is the idea that you can actually have an experience with somebody else, a shared experience over something stupid that is made of cardboard and plastic. <laughs> so for me, I, I believe that Gen Con was born out of the idea that we play games because we want to have time with other people. Great. So yeah, I've, I've been very lucky in that I've grown up um, and, and, and haven't the experience to be a, a quote unquote professional and review games. But really the reason I come to Gen Con is because of my brothers and yeah. that's you two and, and right. among, among others, right. I come out there every year because I want to engage with those individuals. And, uh, 
games for me are just different avenues to have these unique experiences whether it's bang and we're all lying to one another whether it's Mm -hmm. point salad (laughs) and us not understanding the rules of something and trying to figure how it goes or glorious maximus where you know we're taking tricks and trying to you know basically screw each other over right to me what i think the great part about gen con is everyone comes together and honestly even if you don't know people on the floor People are accepting of the fact that we're all geeks. Yeah. We're all people who enjoy this medium and we're going to high five each other. We're maybe even hug each other if you don't know each other. So it's kind of nice for me because I started this journey because I had the, uh, you know, audacity to follow people who I really liked. Mm -hmm. I met a group of people who I thought, man, I want to be around them as much as possible and share in their own experiences. And that's kind of what Gen Con is all about. It is. I, I mean, Mike and Dennis brought me into this family and I have tried to you know, expand upon it. But at the end of the day, what I love about Gen Con and what I think is the most important part about games is that you get to sit down, you sit across your individuals and you get to have a shared experience. That's the best part about life. And I know that's super meta and super deep, but that's what makes me love Gen Con. And it's the reason I go. And I, and I agree. And I think that it, I know that that's actually why I kind of brought this, this and capping this topic off is that I I did want to remind people that this convention that we go to or games that we have or events, whether it be Fox Gen Con or it's ICG Con or whatever, when you're playing games, you're with a group of people who are some of the most accepting people on the planet. I mean, you, you can go to a Gen Con and have social, good, positive social experiences with people from all walks of life, from all races, genders, and it, and equality. Is, is, I mean, there's always things, but it's just such a nice, positive social experience to have. And you form bonds. And that's just, that's how games were made before just like you said, and that's how it continues to be. And to, to, to lose track of that and get into just tournaments and Magic the Gathering and who, who you rank, I think you miss a lot on Gen Con and what it is. I mean, I've said so. this before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show, but when when I've taken games that I enjoy because I'm not wrapped up in winning and then tried to play them in a tournament format at Gen Con, it ruins it for me. And sure. the one the one thing I want to add to that social experience uh, shared experience meta that we've been talking about is um, a thing that I I compare it to weddings, but that's only because Trotsky and, and his wife said this about weddings. If everything goes smoothly and perfectly in a game, you're not going to remember it. But yeah. here now, five, however many years later, probably more like seven years later, we all remember the time that Pat put too many Cylons in the Battlestar Galactica <laughs> game. Like, it's just, it makes a good story in the shared it's, experience. It's the, hey, well, the last thing, the last thing I wanted to do is I want to, I want to ask Fox about his experience. Uh, I'm going to say doing Gen Con as a professional, um, s- scheduling all those meetings, meeting with all those uh, developers. Are Is that... Uh, a thing you were, you're glad that you did. Will you do it again next year? Yeah, I'm glad I did it. I'll be quick about this. I mean, I think the exposure to the actual creators of games is unparalleled. Sure. I think when you have that, you know, conversation with somebody who 
again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, just put their passion to something. I just, hmm. it's unequivocal. So I, yes, I I'll do it again. I'm going to put the effort in to try to review more games. Cause I, I my philosophy about that is I want to educate other people about whether or not they would be excited about games. So I don't believe in the idea as a critic to basically say a game is good or bad or a film is good or bad. Mm. My whole purpose is to say, okay, let me distill this and tell you about it in a way that you can decide whether you would like this. You you would should buy this game or you should go to the theater and see this movie. So yes, I'll do it again. um, And I'm honored to do it. Well, Fox, thanks for coming on the show tonight, man. It was a good time uh, seeing you this last week, and I know we'll have to. We'll get. It, hates, it sucks that we have to think like six months from now that we're having you on. But we'll have the, we'll have you on the show again here and there. So I hope so. Really, it's always a, an absolute privilege. Well, we love having you on, man. And uh, Dennis, we love having you on the show too. Hopefully, we'll have you back next <laughs> very, week too. Very, and very, yeah, very I hope good. you're back, man. Very you, good, you're a good funny. guest. Um, yeah, you're we, a great guest. We say half of this every week, but uh, Fox, will you tell our listeners where they can go to find you and your work? No, I appreciate that. So I am the host of Geek Scholars Movie News. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. I am also the lead tabletop reviewer and film critic for LRMOnline.com. Cool, cool. We'll put links to that in the show notes. Well, that's uh, that's it. We good? We're yeah, I think there was at least some lives. Yeah, you've been listening to the front porch. This is episode 102. Uh, if you are interested in Star Trek role playing or Star Trek role playing, you can listen to our other show, KlingonsandDragons.com. It's not safe for work. Another episode should have gone up tonight, but I'm I'm still on Gen Con lag. Uh, if you have questions, comments, feedback on the show, if you attended Gen Con and want to tell us. Your great social experiences, uh, you can email us frontporchpod at gmail.com. Over on our website, frontporchpodcast.com, we got contact forms. We've got the schedule for the 100 movies. Uh, we did watch Airplane this week, but mm-hmm. uh, we're not obviously going to talk about it tonight. Um, so next week, we will talk about Airplane and also Reservoir Dogs. Big one. Uh, if you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are found. Thanks as always for listening, and until next time. I'm Dennis. I'm Michael. For the front porch. Night, everybody. See you next time.